Welcome to another episode of the Virulent News, Toxic Habits and Attitudes. I'm your host, Wayne Bibbs. If this is your first time listening to the show, welcome. If you've listened to the show before, welcome back. In either case, thank you for tuning in today. As you may or may not know, the main purpose of this podcast is to identify and help eliminate the habits and attitudes that keep us from pursuing our literary and entertainment dreams such as writing that book, reciting that original poetry, filming and even performing in your own movie. We can start to question our own abilities so much so that just one or two less than supportive comments from others can feel like confirmation of our doubts. I'm not good enough. I won't make it and so forth. As I've mentioned to you before, I've had no shortage of such doubts and no shortage of people who were only too eager to reinforce that uncertainty but I have also had supporters whose belief in me was much stronger than my own. And I realize that not everyone has that kind of support in their lives. And that's why I'm here doing this podcast to inform and remind you that you are good enough. You will make it, you can do it. And I'm not just talking about writing and entertainment. I'm talking about any and all of the important things in your life, because your ability to empower yourself will be the driving force in anything you do or want to do. I'm not saying that it will always be easy or that you will never face obstacles or make mistakes along the way, but I am saying that slowing you down is not the same thing as stopping you. Don't let anything stop you. And my guest today is someone who can speak openly and passionately about that very thing. She is the creator and host of the Unashamed Alcoholic podcast, and she was kind enough to agree to speak with us today about her journey. Please allow me to introduce Becca Atkinson. Becca? Thank you so much, Wayne. Happy to be here. <laughs> well, thank you for agreeing uh, to be here. Let me give the, the audience just a little bit of background on how I uh, became aware of you. I was uh, reading a Twitter posts and I came across this one a woman was talking about her uh, her journey into sobriety and uh, she had some really interesting things to say and if I may say so some some very powerful comments and so I followed her I don't mean like I stalked her I mean I followed her on uh, on Twitter and because uh, I wanted to make sure that every time she posted something that I would be able to see it. I didn't want to miss any of the things that she had to say. And uh, after a while of, of reading her posts, I contacted her and I asked if she would be willing to come on uh, my podcast and talk a bit about uh, what she's uh, what she's doing. And as I said, she graciously agreed. So I'm just going to uh, to kind of turn this over 
uh, to Becca. Becca, you were talking about in your posts, you were talking about uh, your your sobriety, some of the the things that uh, that you used to have some difficulty with. Uh, you mentioned that along with uh, with the drinking, there were uh, marital issues and what have you. Could I ask you, please, to uh, give the audience a little uh, little bit of your background in that regard? Yeah, in, well, the, there's a there's a lot to, <laughs> in that background there for sure to to unpack. I mean, the last few years of uh, my drinking in my mid to late thirties, uh, you know, I had two kids, I was in, uh, an unhappy marriage, you know, and kind of fighting with that, um, sort of two, two sides, you know, I, I want to stop drinking and thinking about this all the time. Um, it's the only thing that makes me happy. And, you know, that idea of like, uh, this is what everyone's supposed to do. And this is as a mom too, you're kind of told like, well, this is how you escape the burdens of motherhood and the guilt and the, you know, exhaustion that surrounds that. So it's just constant, like, um, push and pull, uh, thinking about wishing I could stop. It's the only thing that makes me happy. I want to do some, you know, something about this, but everyone does it. You're supposed to do it. Like it was just not kind of nonstop. And when I stopped drinking, um, three years into my sobriety and then the beginning of the pandemic, when like, now there's nothing to do <laughs> to distract, kind yeah. of looked at the marriage and was like, huh, all right, well, this really isn't going to work. And that's, so I really credit my sobriety to my divorce, which was a good thing. You know, people are always like, Oh, I'm so sorry to hear you got divorced. Like, mm, don't, <laughs> please don't be like, it was the best, it was one of the best things to happen to me. And that came out of getting sober. So a lot, there was a lot of change that came out of sobriety. Um, honestly, all, all good, even though stereotypically it might be bad. So, you know, there was a lot of things that kind of shifted as I got sober, not immediately, you know, like three years later, it was the divorce and so on, but you know, it all happened because of that. You mentioned that you felt, um, a push and pull or some pressure. Um, I'm assuming from other people around you who maybe weren't as, as ready to looking into doing away with the, with the drinking as you were at at that point, did you feel like people really wanted you to just keep on doing it because it made them feel comfortable? Um, no, I don't think it was, it was never, I never felt pressured by anyone in my group to drink, mm -hmm. we, you know, and I think that that is a lot of to do with the age I was at. Like if I was in my twenties, I think it would have been a different story, but mm -hmm. in my thirties, you know, you're, I, I feel like you're kind of more surrounded by hopefully <laughs> mature adults at that point who, you know, not everyone's like, you're not facing that kind of peer pressure anymore. And when I say the idea of like that push and pull of like, this is what you're supposed to do, quote unquote, that's, I mean, I, I credit that to like society's, um, you know, impressions and um, perceptions of like what we're all supposed to be doing. I mean, 
it's assumed you drink until you say otherwise. Um, that's just the way our culture and society operates, Mm -hmm. uh, that you just, everyone, everyone drinks until you say you don't, that's the assumption. And, and then I found in particular, if you look through the pandemic, um, a lot of advertising was targeted towards like, um, you know, escaping the kids to go drink in the laundry room or hide in your closet and drink like these sort of tongue in cheek type things. You know, there's these, there's socks that say on the bottom, on the feet, you know, if you can read this, bring me my wine, that's kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's kind of like this mentality of like, but you know, I don't want to do this. And I'm so consumed by thinking about it all the time and all this stuff, but yet society, the messaging everywhere is that it's okay, especially as a mom, it's okay. And you have to do this. And like, you know, it's the, how you relax and it's how you escape the kids. And so it was kind of like, how do I manage what I feel, what I'm kind of feeling inside versus what I'm being told is okay. Mm -hmm. So when you actually started drinking, it wasn't because necessarily of a pressure to do it. It was just kind of something that you know an aspect of of social living yeah especially I mean as a teenager uh it was kind of like that's just what you do I mean that's when I when I started drinking in my as a you know really officially 16 17 that's because that's what everyone was doing and you know unlike how I talk to my children now my parents weren't being like, Hey, did you know that you don't have to drink? And like, there's a whole thing of sobriety and sober culture and the sober movement, like that wasn't a thing back then. So, and especially like in our our household, that wasn't going to be a conversation. So, you know, it wasn't presented as an option. So it was just like, well, you just drink like everyone does. This is how, you know, you, you drink. And then like, that's it. You don't, you know, taking a night off, thinking about being sober, period, thinking about not drinking because of the alcoholism in your family or having those conversations, that was not, that was just not happening. Those conversations, these these options presented weren't happening. Okay. Then if you would please share a little bit about how you came to your decision to leave that behind. How did, how did we get to that point? You know, it'd been like, as I said, it's kind of starting at 16, 17, this is what is normal through my twenties, where I was kind of starting to get tiring. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and you know, and every now and then we'd be like a red flag. Like I was noticing I had to drink when other people would be like, nah, you know, I'm good. Like, I'm like, what? Like, why, why wouldn't you, like, you can like, so there'd be little moments where I noticed, like I was starting to have to drink when I could see other people could take it or leave it. And then, um, by the time I was having my kids in my thirties, the pregnancy was a relief because it was the time where I could, it was like a mandatory break from alcohol, which was like, great. Like, I don't have a choice. This is being imposed on me. Perfect. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that, that's probably worrisome. <laughs> you know, that this is the old, this is the way I don't drink. And so kind of, you know, it was building to like this point, just sheer exhaustion about it. And it wasn't, you know, I say this a lot that my drinking wasn't about the quantity of it. Like I was drinking every day, but I wasn't getting like blackout drunk. I wasn't drinking like, you know, two bottles of wine a day, that kind of stuff. Um, I was just thinking about it all the time and, you know, and drinking, but like, it wasn't the amount, it was just the, just being consumed by the thoughts. And so 
because I wasn't hitting these like keys of what I thought an alcohol quote unquote, an alcoholic was, I was like, mm-hmm. well, I can't, I can't be an alcoholic. I'm a young, vivacious, you know, employed, <laughs> married woman. Like I just drink a lot, you know, and I think about it all the time and the thinking about it just got so exhausting that one day I woke up and hung over after my grandmother's funeral and was just like, Oh my God, I can't do this anymore. I can't, I just, I'm so sick of thinking about drinking mm. and, you know, being sick by, by, by I mean, in hangovers as they're getting worse in my thirties. Uh, so that was really it. That was a moment in 20 June, 2017 was a one morning I woke up and like, I can't do this anymore. And, mm-hmm. you know, I obviously thought about that a number of times, but something about that day was just, it was different. And in reaching this point, I mean, I, I understand that, you know, you were kind of getting tired of the, of the idea that something was saying to you, okay, this is, you know, this is the new day. There's supposed to be some drinking here. What's keeping you. Um, but there wasn't a, what I've heard other people refer to as a rock bottom situation where you know you woke up didn't know where you were or anything right. like that uh, it, it seems like that that whole mindset is is really insidious and because mm-hmm. it's it's not something that you know makes you look bad to yourself or to anyone around you but you know you could feel the effect it was having exactly and I think the rock the idea of the rock bottom is you know it, it is a dangerous kind of idea that like you have to crash your car or get arrested or, you know, lose your job or all these things that like have to be the lowest of the low. Like it's just the lowest for point for you. It's the, it's the point where mm-hmm. you start go, I can't do this anymore. And so that, that was another reason why I was just like, I'm not an alcoholic. I don't have a drinking problem because all these things haven't happened. And I could say haven't happened yet because they probably would have at some point, but you know, it was just. I mean, I made a fool of myself the night before as did a lot of people, like this was a family function and a lot of people were drunk. Mm. Uh, it was just, it was just something was just like, I can't, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't want to be so consumed by something. So it was definitely a more of a rock bottom internally, uh, than a visual that other people could see. And that's, you know, also what led to the surprise of when I said I'm an alcoholic publicly, people were just like, I had no idea you had a problem. Like, well, that's because it was all inside. You couldn't see it. You know, I wasn't like doing things that would make you think I was an alcoholic. Mm, Okay. So um, let me ask what, when you reached this point, when you made the, the conscious decision that, okay, this is, this is it. I've had it. I want to change this. What steps did you take to go about making that change? Well, the first one was based on experience of saying this multiple times that I want to stop drinking and having tried to moderate and manage it for years and knowing that didn't work. Mm. Um, and having joined clubs and forums and stuff, I knew that I knew it would be hard and I knew I had to make a really concerted effort because I tried to do it over the years and it hadn't stuck. And so the first thing I did was, uh, decide to take, like make a plan of like, it wasn't that day I stopped. I I made it, you know, my date would be a month later on my birthday. So I gave myself time 
to kind of get used to the idea, first of all, and like have this countdown, which doesn't work for everyone, for sure. Some people need to stop immediately. And I was just like, no, I'm going to work my way into this, knowing this is what I want, you know, ultimately to come out of it. Um, and then I told some people, uh, I, so the accountability side of it, like I wasn't, certainly wasn't open like I am now where my whole life is <laughs> public, but <laughs> I definitely, I sent an email. Like I think after, oh, I don't even remember maybe a week or a few days or something to like my parents, let's say, and like maybe an uncle or someone. So I kind of, you know, started telling people, which was really scary. And then I told some friends, um, I'd confided in a friend three months into it as we were on a plane to a, you know, a trip to San Francisco. I told her I was, you know, had stopped drinking and was going to AA and that was terrifying. And then, you know, the AA part of it too, was, uh, starting to do that about three months in, which I hadn't considered until someone I'd known came kind of came out of nowhere at the perfect time. And was like, Hey, you know, I've been, I'm in recovery and I'm going to these meetings. Do you want to come to one with me? And so that kind of opened the door to that, where even three months sober, I was just like <laughs> saying I'm an alcoholic was terrifying, you know, mm -hmm. in that, in that space surrounded by people who are just like me, but that kind of built a really great community, um, and support system that I had no idea was there until I started going. So that was, that was kind of like in a, you know, it wasn't all at once. It was over a few months. Um, and that really, you know, it all kind of stuck like the family support, the friends support. I go to AA meetings now still when I need to, like, it's just kind of all, it all really fell into place pretty perfectly. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, let me say that is, it's really good to hear that you had that, uh, that support in place. Uh, I, I think all of us know of at least one situation, whether it involves alcohol or not, where, uh, there was something that we faced that was very difficult and maybe the, the support that we needed externally wasn't there, but, uh, you seem to have had uh, quite a bit of it in your uh, sobriety journey, which is a, which is a great thing. Yeah, a lot. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't ask for really any better. I had, I had, I can't think of, instead of like one time, um, you know, someone, you know, in family and friends who weren't supportive. And that was, you know, something that held me back from telling people sooner was like, how will people react? And I would think like, oh, if a parent of my child's, you know, a friend of I'm trying to re how do I phrase this? If one of my kids' friends, mm -hmm. parents found out that like I'm in recovery, are they going to let their kid play with mine still? And, you know, which is sort of bananas to think about like that you wouldn't want your child around someone who's sober, but you're okay if they're at home cooking <laughs> dinner and having a drink, right? Like, so, right, right. you know, when you kind of think about these things, it's like, why was I afraid to tell people this? Because ultimately the, the, um, reaction has never been anything but positive and, mm -hmm. and, you know, sometimes surprised, um, but just supportive. And so I've been, I've been, I, I've, I know I've been very lucky in that regard. Yeah. I know a lot of people would have, uh, would have difficulty just with public speaking, you know, just getting up in front of a, a, a large group of people and just talking about something. 
never mind the subject of that talk being uh, <laughs> something that would be considered a, a flaw or a weakness in mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that to say that that would be intimidating, or as you said, terrifying, that's completely understandable, but you did it. You did it. And that is, uh, it's very brave. It's very commendable. And it's something that to be perfectly honest, a lot of people would have great difficulty doing. What would you say to someone uh, who is facing the same decision that you faced and is maybe a uh, a bit hesitant because of things like that. Uh, maybe they don't want to let everyone know that uh, that they have this uh, this issue because there is a bit of a stigma, I think, attached to it. What would you say to that person? Yeah, I mean, there you're right. There is certainly a stigma still around that, and that's what you know, the, the podcast is trying to do and why I share my story is to try and change the misconceptions and the stereotypes around what an alcoholic is and what recovery is like. And, um, you know, I would tell someone that, you know, if they're afraid or worried about sharing their story, you know, do it slowly. Like, you know, people you trust, you know, someone tell someone you trust. And, um, because I think each time you do it, it helps to solidify that really, people are a lot more supportive than you think. I think in them for the most part, a lot less judgmental than we think. And as I've been reminded time and time again, no one actually really cares. <laughs> you know, like it's, it sounds bad to say, but we get worried, so worried about what other people are going to think. If we say, no, I'm not drinking or no, I'm sober or no, all these things, you know, how are, what's everyone going to think if I, this or that, and really people are just worried about themselves and they're not, you know, they're, they don't care really about what's going on uh, as, as us. People are much less concerned than we assume they are with our own lives. So it's kind of that mentality has helped a lot because it was so built up in my head that like, oh, everyone's going to think this and everyone's going to think that. And, you know, this is going to dominate, you know, what people are talking about and really, mm, it's not, they don't, <laughs> people, people just go, oh, okay. And then they go about their business. It's not, you know, necessarily life-changing what you're doing for someone else. So mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of just remember, like people don't care as much as you think they, they will certainly. Okay. So don't be afraid to get out there and do what you have to do. Take the steps to, uh, to follow the path to sobriety. Absolutely. Okay. Now about your podcast, uh, tell us a little bit about that, how you, uh, you came to the conclusion that this podcast was something that you needed to do in regards to your sobriety. Yeah, the podcast came about after I shared my story on a local morning radio show here in the Ottawa Gadnow area. And I hung up the phone that morning and had such a weight lifted off my shoulders and it had felt so good to talk about myself, talk about me and my story and why, you know, I was, had been hiding saying I'm an alcoholic for so long. And, you know, I kind of thought, what can I do to keep talking about this? And um, that's how the podcast idea was born. Um, and I, you know, I, linked it with why did I originally start sharing my story? And that was because someone well-known, a hockey player had shared his and he had inspired me to come forward with mine. And so I thought, okay, well, I'm going to reach out to people who are well-known and sober 
for whatever reason and, you know, using their platforms to openly talk about something that, you know, is stigmatized uh, and hopefully show that it can happen to anyone and we're still normal people and we all, you know, have this thing in common that actually makes our lives a whole lot better. And so I started just reaching out to, you know, anyone who, any actor, athlete, musician, um, personality who had publicly said that they were either in recovery or sober or an alcoholic. And just, it kind of went from there and I'm just getting ready to publish my 47th episode next week. So I'm, (laughs) it's just like, that's wild to even say that I've done 47 episodes. It'll be two years in October. I think mm-hmm. that is my, that the, the unashamed alcoholic has been up and running. So it's, um, it's been, I look back at some of the people I talk have spoken with, like people I have loved and idolized and like, just, it's just totally out of this world to think I've spoken with these people and we have something in common. Mm-hmm. I've listened to uh, to some of the episodes of of your podcast, and the conversation is never one that sounds clinical or uh, journalistic. It's like there were two people sitting down having a frank discussion about something that they have in common, and there just happens to be a crowd of us sitting around listening to you do it it's 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 very open and i think that i think that that's one of the things that could that makes people more receptive of uh, of what it is that you're doing because it's it's not a you know i'm preaching to you you're an awful person if you don't do what i'm doing or you're an awful person if you don't do what i do the very same way that i do it uh, there are, I, I think it's kind of like, uh, like bowling. I'm a bowler and they always say there's no wrong way to throw a strike. There's no wrong way uh, to get yourself sober and to straighten yourself out. And that's, forgive, forgive me if I'm incorrect here, but that's kind of what I picked up from, from uh, some of your episodes. Oh, I'm glad that that's what you took from it because that's, you know, one, the idea is yes, just to have a very casual conversation. And for, with a lot of these people, like I walk away being like, I could be their friend. Like that was so easy and fun. And it's not supposed to be a, a Debbie Downer type conversation. It's supposed to be fun. And to, I mean, you know, you see in my Twitter, a lot of what I try to do is show that life is just as actually more fun than now for me mm-hmm. than it ever was before. I'm happier now. And so I want to that to come across like in these conversations they are supposed to be upbeat and funny and, you know, lighthearted and, you know, it's just go with the flow. It's supposed to be a conversation, not less of an interview and more of a conversation. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's one part of it. The other part is, yeah, well, for sure, there is no right way to recover and there's no one should say, this is the way you do it. And this is the right way. And this is, you know, I've learned that hugely myself, like with how I've decided to kind of take what I want from AA. And a lot of people have problems when I talk about that. And, you know, I talk about that with some of my guests that, you know, we, we've decided to kind of go our own way of whatever works best for us. And like, that was a real learning curve. So it's nice to be able to connect with people on those types of things and go like, you know, you do what you want. Like you make it work how whatever works for you works, right? And whatever keeps you sober 
is, is the right way. So, you know, these conversations have really, I think grown from like, this is how I personally help. It, it helps me recover to these conversations. Like, you know, the, the Twitter, the, the AA meetings that I needed. And then these types of conversations, even today, like getting to talk again about my own story helps remind me of like why I'm here. And, um, you know, it's that it all, for me, it always comes down to connection, how I connect with another human being, mm-hmm. uh, and, and being able to have that, those exchanges, that's just critical for me. Okay. Now there's, there's one last thing that I, I absolutely have to bring up. Um, I haven't, Played, I haven't uh, told my wife much about uh, about this particular uh, interview, if you want to call it that, or this this chat. Uh, I did tell her that about your podcast, and I told her about your story. But what I didn't mention to her is one of the things that piqued my interest about you know you and your posts even more is the Hall and Oates thing. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm a, I'm a I'm a huge Hall of Notes fan. Yay! And uh, you know, we uh, the wife and I actually um, started dating right around the time of the the peak of their of of their uh, fame and success. Uh, we probably actually had our first kiss to Man Eater. No, for real. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah so uh when you when you said that you were a hall and fan, i was like okay now this is a lady i could talk to (laughs) (laughs) well i love that the conversation turned to hall and oats that's amazing uh yeah no hall and oats is like oh i'm a diehard fan i was just looking yesterday at how i how i am driving to atlantic city in uh october to see them and i'm like (laughs) that's <laughs> an 11 really? hour drive all right oh god <laughs> oh, man. okay becca um i just want to thank you for coming on the show and and talking to us and giving us your insights on uh on sobriety and and things that can lead to it things that can help with it and let me also add if i'm not mistaken correct me if i'm wrong you are now 61 months into your sobriety. You've got 61 months. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, just five, five years and one month now. Five years and a month. Congratulations. Thank you. And from this, I think that anyone listening, if there's a takeaway from this, I think everyone should hear one, that there's no right or wrong way, uh, no one way, I should say, to do this. And that uh, you mentioned that there were some things that uh, that you tried that didn't quite stick the first few times that you tried it, but eventually you got it to the point where you need it and it stuck. It's still sticking and it will continue to stick because we have confidence in you. <laughs> uh, but understand that this can be done. So, you know, don't stop stopping. Don't quit quitting. Exactly. I love that. So uh, thank you so much for being on our show. Uh, greatly appreciate it. And I will continue to follow you to see what other inspiring messages and pictures of hockey and, <laughs> <laughs> and Hall and & Oates you will be sharing. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And thank you all for listening. This is 
the virulent news, toxic habits and attitudes. I am your host, Wayne Bibbs. I will be talking to you again soon, but until then, take care. Thank you.